Good morning. It is an honor to be with you in your homes this morning as we do church in a little bit of a different way today, this time due to a weather event. And I'm excited this morning to open God's word to you as we look at the book of Deuteronomy in our second series on Deuteronomy, Knowing God Through His Law. And this morning, as we step into this book, before we do so, I want to answer one question. Uh, Because it's been a while since we've been in Deuteronomy, we went through the Advent season, we had a Baptism Sunday, we've had Year in Review, we've had Vision Sunday, and then Zach kind of reintroduced us to this great book last week. But I want to go, I want to back up a little further and ask one question. Here it is. Why study the Old Testament? You know, we, we believe that Jesus came as a baby. That's what we celebrated at Christmas time, that he came as a baby. He, he grew up. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He fully fulfilled the law in a manner that we could not. And then he was rejected and he was killed. He was crucified on a Roman cross. And on that cross, uh, God, our Heavenly Father, poured out the wrath that you and I deserved onto Jesus. Jesus was punished for my sin and for yours, that we can receive forgiveness. So why not study the New Testament that teaches us about Jesus and about the cross and about what it means to follow him? Well, probably the most comprehensive answer in the New Testament comes from the Apostle Paul in the book of 1 Corinthians. And we're not going to look at the passage this morning. I encourage you to just, if you're a note taker, make a note, 1 Corinthians 10, 6 to 14, and you can look at that later. But Paul says three things about specifically studying the Old Testament stories of of Israel and and God in their their relationship. He says, number one in verse six, he says, these things happen to be examples for us so that we don't uh, participate in idolatry in the same manner that they did, essentially. In other words, the stories serve as types or examples that we can learn from. Second thing he says in verse 11, he says, they serve... Uh, to instruct or teach us that there's, there's actually uh, there there are there's doctrine and teaching that we can glean uh, from from the Old Testament uh, Old Testament accounts and then finally a very famous verse verse thirteen that talks about temptation and our ability to stand up under temptation temptation because of God's faithfulness what Paul is essentially saying is that the Old Testament accounts of God and Israel are given to us so that we might then resist temptation in our lives now, and verse 14 talks about, even to the degree that we don't participate in the idolatry of our time. Now, if you've been around Groton Bible Chapel for any amount of time, you know that we've talked about idolatry in our time, the idolatry of our world. It doesn't look like uh, gold or silver statues or things like that, uh, but has different forms. And so we'll talk about some of that uh, this morning. But we're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 7 for about 15 minutes. And uh, before we do so, I'm just going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for the chance to um, have a different kind of day. I pray this morning that each one tuning in today is uh, warm in their homes, warm and cozy, that families are together, that friends are, are together, and that as we open your word, Lord, we ask that it would teach us. We ask by your Holy Spirit that you would instruct us. We thank you for the lessons of the Old Testament. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we're in Deuteronomy chapter 7, and we're going to pick it up in verses 6 through 9 initially. And the text reads, The Lord your God has chosen you to be his own possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. 
The Lord had his heart set on you and chose you, not because you were more numerous than all peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your fathers. He brought you out with a strong hand and redeemed you from the place of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps his gracious covenant loyal, loyally for a thousand generations with those who love him and who keep his commands. The first thing that we see in this text, the, the very first verse that we looked at here, says that we are, God's covenant people, here the Old Testament, uh, through the covenant of the law, now in our time through the new covenant of Jesus' blood, that his covenant people are his own possession. Now, some of your versions will say his special possession or his treasured possession, but they're his unique possession. You know, you think about um, a, a special relationship between a, a husband and wife, a parent and child, dear friends, maybe that go back decades. And in a passage that's going to talk about obedience and the law, we kind of get this these relationships in mind, right? That we respond in in serving one another, in loving one another actively in these kinds of relationships out of the overflow of gratitude and love and a history of relationship. But actually, in the text, there's even more at stake than that. I want to show you a resource this morning and read you a short passage from it. This is a book called The Stranger on the Road to Emmaus. It's actually a missions curriculum that we've been using at the chapel for many, many years. And in this book, John Cross talks about the dynamic of, uh, of the, the creator-owner dynamic and how that um, influences our understanding of Scripture. And, and he talks about that the creator-owner dynamic is something that's almost missing from our culture. So let me read you what he says, and I think it'll make sense. He says, I remember walking through a tribal village in Papua New Guinea. Every item I asked about, whose paddle is this? Whose canoe is that? Elicited a response that designated an owner. Upon inquiring how they knew who the owner was, they looked at me incredulously. Well, the owner is the one who made it. The creator-owner connection was very strong. When I questioned them if it would be all right for me to break a paddle, they were just as emphatic that it would not be a good idea unless I wanted to have trouble with the creator-owner. Taking it a step further, I asked if it was acceptable for the owner to break it. They gave a tribal shrug and nodded, it's okay for the owner to break it. He made it. So kind of big picture here. We, we would immediately kind of make the connection, right, that God is the creator owner of the whole universe, of all people, of you, me, of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. He is the creator owner. This helps us understand. It's not a full answer, but it helps us understand the question of suffering that we looked about at last fall. God is the creator order of anything. He, his ways are higher than our ways. He understands sovereignly how everything works together. And suffering is a part of that. Again, that's a partial answer. The second thing it helps us answer is obedience. Why should we obey God? Why should God command our obedience? He is our creator owner and so forth. But it's even more profound in this text. And I want to belabor this point of treasured possession. Because look at what he says. He says, the Lord your God has chose you to be his own or treasured or special possession out of all the peoples on the earth. Understand this. God is already the creator owner of everything. And yet he has chosen you, Israel, you this morning, me as believers in Jesus, 
to be his treasured possession. And so what are the implications of that? Well, it's exactly what follows in the next couple of verses. Because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he made to your fathers, brought you out with a strong hand, and redeemed you. You see, God's the creator owner, but he even above and beyond that lovingly chose us to be in him, in Christ. And in his love, he was faithful to all his promises. And in so doing, he delivered his people. Again, deliverance out of Egypt for the Old Testament saints and deliverance out of sin through Christ for us. Now, you may or may not know this about me, but my background is actually in electrical engineering. So I tend to be a little bit of a linear thinker uh, even when I look at scripture. So in my mind, the love of God sort of leads to the faithfulness of God, which leads to the actions of God in delivering his people. But it's, it's really, it's, it's far more intertwined than that. That God's love and his faithfulness and his deliverance of us is all intertwined in his very nature and essence and love for us. But it is his faithfulness that makes us the covenant people. A.W. Tozer said it this way. He said, upon God's faithfulness rests our whole or entire hope. Only as he is faithful will all the covenants be kept and we will live at peace. It is God's faithfulness. Well, that brings me to the second point. And that is in verse 12 and following, the covenant blessings that come about from that. You know, in many ways, uh, human beings since the beginning of time have been on a quest for happiness. And and probably since the late fall, I've talked with so many who a lot of what's happening in their life is is driven out of a desire, uh, either past or present or or looking ahead, uh, for happiness. That they've desired happiness. In some cases, it caused them to make mistakes. In other cases, it caused them to look to Jesus. But happiness, they've sought happiness. God says in verse 12, if you listen to and are careful to keep these ordinances that the Lord your God will keep his covenant to you. And he goes on to describe three different areas of blessing. That God will bless uh, their families. They will have children, healthy children. That God will bless their land with uh, grain and new wine. And that God will bless their livestock. Now, most of us don't live in an agrarian setting. We're certainly not an agrarian society. And so those things don't ring for what they are, uh, uh, what they would have been to a first century, um, uh, not even first century, to an ancient people, such as the people uh, in the time that Deuteronomy is written. Uh, namely, this is comprehensive blessing. It, it's family, it's land, the stability of land that provides, and it's the provision of, of food and all that comes along with having livestock. He is a God whose heartbeat, uh, the crux of who he is, is a desire to bless us. Uh, Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Um, Illustration. Recently, my wife and I have undertaken to rip my daughter's room apart. We've actually pushed two walls. We've removed two walls and pushed her room out two feet in each direction, ripped the room down to the studs, uh, new framing, new sheetrock, new flooring, new, cur- new curtains, all the trimmings. She's getting a beautiful new room. And, 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 and it's brought me joy to work on this project because I'm so excited to bless my little girl uh, because I love her and she is my treasured possession. That's the heartbeat of God. As we get into the obedience stuff that's coming, as we conclude our message this morning, I want to park here for a minute. We, you, are God's treasured possession 
His deepest desire is to bless you. But that comes through the vehicle of obedience. Verse 16, he says, I'm sorry, verse 12, if you listen to and are careful to obey all, obey all the ordinances and so forth, how and why does God, if he loves us, call us to obedience? Well, I want to move us to our application of this message this morning. We're going to take our application right out of the scripture. Will I trust this kind of God who sees me as his treasured possession and wants to bless me and thereby obey him? So I want to deal with three areas when it comes to obedience right out of the text. Number one, dealing severely with sin. Number two, dealing with doubt. And number three, dealing with compromise. So first, dealing severely with sin. This little phrase, you must destroy. You must destroy. And he goes on to describe destroying the peoples and all the trimmings of idolatry. That God's call on us to obedience is to be severe with sin. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 29 to 31, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. So this isn't just an Old Testament idea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Now, obviously, as Dr. Dave Reed used to say, there can be one-eyed lusters around. And so it's hyperbole here. It's the idea of taking sin severely, seriously. So if you have a particular struggle, speak that to an accountability partner. Another question that you can ask yourself, is this pleasure, this desire for happiness, whatever it might be, worth the cost of what it means to disobey, to disobey God? So dealing severely with sin. Number two, dealing with doubt. In the text, it says, God says uh, through Moses, he says, if you say to yourself, these nations are greater and stronger than us, Remember what the Lord your God did to Egypt. Remember what he did to Pharaoh. Just a little bit further on. Don't be terrified for the Lord your God, a great and awesome God, is among you. So Moses says when there's doubts, remember your history. Remember how God delivered you previously. That's in our lives too. Look back in your life. Remember, recount even through prayer. God, I remember when you were faithful to me in this way. I remember when you gave me pleasure and joy through obedience in this manner. And even more importantly, remember that God himself is among you. Uh, Jesus said, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Paul says in Romans 8 that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you and me today. In dealing with doubt, we refer to our history our history with God and to God himself. The way this question is phrased in Revelation is this, have I forgotten my first love? Perhaps this morning you need to remember your first love with God. The last uh, area of application is dealing with compromise. At the very end of the passage, Moses talks about when you destroy the idols, don't even keep the gold or silver that overlaid them. Now the people would have said things like, you know, that gold is valuable. It could be used in the temple treasury. It could be used to help the poor. And Moses says, don't even keep the gold or silver. And he goes on to say in the last verse, do not bring anything detestable into your house. What a great application for you and me today. You know, I shared back in the fall that I was watching a show that I was convicted was essentially de detestable and that I was no longer going to bring into my house. 
Perhaps there's something for you this morning. Remember, you are his treasured possession. He longs to bless you, and that is why he calls you to obedience. And Paul Tripp says it this way. He says, he really does know how short-lived our resolve tends to be. He understands our wandering eyes and our oft disloyal hearts. And so listen to what he says. So he commands our allegiance so that we will not serve other masters. You get that? He loves us so much and he knows us so much that he commands our allegiance. He commands my allegiance so that I won't serve other masters. You know, we didn't look at the first five verses of chapter seven, but it actually begins with an, an extensive description of destroying idols and idolaters, etc. The passage ends with a call to destroy idols and idolaters, etc. The middle, where we spent most of our time this morning talking about God's love for his people as his treasured possession, talking about God's desire to bless his people, the heart of the passage reveals the heart of God an unrelenting, pursuing love of God for his own people. That is the God we serve this morning. That is the God that we've worshiped as we've spent this time together. It's the God that we serve as we go from here today. And so just wishing that, that this word from Deuteronomy 7 uh, would be a tremendous blessing to your life today, that you, you would remember that you are God's treasured possession, that he delights to bless you, and that he calls you to trust him and yes, to walk in obedience to him, to deal severely with sin, to confront our doubts, and to deal with compromise by not bringing anything detestable into our house. Church, I love you. We pray for you. Uh, excited to be able to bring God's word to you again this morning. I've just been so convicted personally uh, in these passages. I hope it was a blessing to you. I'm going to pray, and then we'll conclude with our service in just a moment. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we, we uh, trust to you this morning that it will sort of, uh, that it will not get lost in the translation of technology or of uh, when or how the circumstances and distractions of when this gets viewed, but that your word would speak clearly to our hearts. Jesus, we thank you for what you've done for us to make us your covenant community people. We pray in your name. Amen.